Hey friends, I'm Andy Jenkins with the Tribe Talk Podcast. This is the official, I guess it's kind of a chat thread, uh, recording audio of Transformation Ministries based out of Birmingham, Alabama. Today, I'm not with Rock. We usually meet with him, but uh, one of the things we've really endeavored to do is bring you a lot of the incredible staff and teachers and faculty from Transformation Ministries. And so I got in the car, drove down to, what city is this? Uh, we're, we're near, uh, we're in uh, Pelham. We're, okay, so we're near Pel- south of Pelham, close yeah. to Montevallo. Uh, like, Alabaster. It, Alabaster. Alabaster yeah. is the worst place for traffic. Because there's this curve when you come down I-65, yep. everybody just stops for no reason. It essentially goes four lanes to two lanes, and so that's what kills you. I just thought people were stopping for for yeah. for nothing. Yeah, nothing. And, and Alabaster known for the tank farm. Hey, the guy that you're hearing in the background right there with me across from the room is Jeff Freelander, or, or actually should say Rabbi Jeff Freelander. Let me tell you how why we're talking to him today. Transformation Ministries does three things. Number one. They do individual and family counseling. Number two, they do prayer ministry. Number three, the school of ministry. And that school of ministry, the third thing, has three tracks. Okay, so track number one, inner healing. Track number two, discipleship. Track number three, the Hebraic Institute. And Jeff is the rabbi that teaches, leads the Hebraic Institute. Okay, so that's set up. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Thanks, Andy. I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm fired up to share and talk and see what God's going to tell people about uh, their inner healing, their life, and how these things all work together and how they fit together and where the Hebraic Institute fits in their world. Okay, so let's. The, the first thing is we're sitting here talking. I don't have a title. Like it's just plain Andy. Yeah, I'm or, Jeff. Or, or people there are. <laughs> Yesterday, I was walking through the office. Paula was not upset with me. You know, like Paula doesn't get mad at all. Yeah. Uh, but like, if she's like, I'm, I'm stressing her about something. It's, it's my full name, <laughs> Andy Jenkins. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but there's no title. Yeah. I, I mean, and I, I know, like, when we're talking. You're just like, yeah, just call me Jeff. Right. But you're a rabbi. Yeah. So let's let's like make that leap and so, fill in. So I, you know, titles are funny things, and they're they're bizarre to me. People like titles, some do, some kind of avoid titles. I just am nonchalant about them. They, they don't, you know, if they can help somebody to understand something, that's fine. But uh, we put too much pressure on people with titles. We put too much emphasis on titles. Because uh, I'm also a husband. Uh, I have an incredible wife. I've been with her for 32 years. We've been married 32 years. We dated for four years. We've been together 36 years. I'm also a father. I have four adult children. I'm also a grandfather. I have four grandchildren, a fifth on the way. So I got lots of titles. I, I also work, you know. I, I mean, we, 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 we're we an employed guy uh, in the ministry. So there's all kinds of titles. But the, the one that people kind of want to understand is the one title, Rabbi. What Isn't that, that funny? Really mean? I yeah. mean, I know, like, we're not really talking about it. Yeah. Isn't that funny that, like, the title's always, like, the work title? It's not that. Yeah. I mean, arguably, you know, when you die, you're tapping yeah. out. Your most important title was probably Follower husband, father. I mean, well, from the earthly yeah. sense, it's, from it's earthly, yeah. we're, we're taking the assumption that follower of the Messiah, but but from the earthly sense, it's probably that husband, father. Yeah, we don't call anybody by that. No, hey, husband Jeff. Hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Jeff, husband of, you know. Father of. <laughs> so, yeah. So, All right. So, rabbi is... on the rabbi. So, I, I was... Um, I'm Jewish by uh, by blood, by, by DNA. Because your dad came from... Well, he's in America. I mean, he was raised in America. He's from North Washington D.C. My grandparents were from Germany, and and my family was from Prussia uh, originally, which was what became Germany. The Poland German area all condensed. Prussia went away in the early nineteenth uh, century and became mostly Germany. And so, our, our we hail from that area. I mean, I know that's a longer um, story. That's a whole other story. But yeah. I, I kind of wanted to pin it and go, this isn't a guy that just decided, oh, hey, I, I'm going to I'm gonna be Jewish. Yeah. No, I'm no, like, this, this is your roots. Yeah, this is who we are. Our family goes back and and uh, all the way back, in fact, uh, on one, one line of the family, we traced it back to the you know 1700s, all that, but on one line of the family, it's been traced all the way back to the 1100s. So we've got about that. But Jewish records are a little tricky. Uh, the temple was destroyed in 70, Common Era, and the there was a lot of dispersion, as you probably know from history, where the Jews were sent all over the world. Israel was scattered throughout the world. And uh, central worship, you know, the Jewish people are the only people that haven't had a homeland in almost 2,300 years. In 1948, get a homeland back, and it's as if they never missed a beat. That's a miracle of God. How does Israel... Be is there any other people group in the world that has ever not had a homeland, not had a government, not had a worship center, not had a culture, not had a language? Remember, modern Hebrew came back in in the late 1700s, mid 1800s. There was the Hebrew language had been kind of just not spoken. Everybody's speaking where they are. Years. Yeah, they just adopted to the land. So imagine a people group with no language, no government, nothing. And 1948, all of a sudden, boom, we stick them together and we give them some land. And it's as if they've been there since Abraham. It's as if they've never left. And so, so culturally, they, they stuck together in tribes, if you will, over the centuries. And so it's an incredible story, Israel really is. But so our family is, is on that side. But my mother was not Jewish. She was Southern Baptist, good old Southern Baptist gal. And um, my dad married outside the family, which brought, that's a long story, another story. It's a fun story, but it's a whole other world. I imagine that's an emotional train wreck on both yeah, sides. Yeah, it had all kinds of ramifications. But So I got the blessing of being raised in, in, in um, a, a Jewish heritage and Jewish um, mentalities and with grandparents. But faith-wise, I was raised in a Christian uh, denomination, Presbyterianism, when I was very young um, in terms of faith. And then I, I got born again in college. I, I left congregational life when I was in eighth or ninth grade, didn't really go to anything. And when I was in college, I became a believer and got born again. Ended up going into ministry training school uh, through uh, the Assemblies of God and went to attended Berean Bible College and the Master's Commission, which was a training program out in Phoenix 30 years ago. And, and uh, then I got ordained as a, a pastor and, and worked bivocationally in the business world and in ministry. And then uh, ended up just in the business world for a couple decades and did a lot of ministry. Like a lot of people do, they work full-time and yeah. they do ministry constantly, you know, doing leading groups, teaching and, and doing those things. Um, but primarily ran some sales, owned a company and ran some sales organizations. And the Lord just kept hammering me about our call to the full-time vocational ministry uh, over and over again. 
and we kept having success in the business world, and then we would have lots of failure, bad for every two in, or three years in the business. In the business world, so we would get really and successful down, and, and then down. crash, then get success and then crash. And the last time we crashed, I was talking to my wife, and we were praying. And I asked the Lord, I said, what am I supposed to do? And he said, and I remember it very clearly, he said, well, you can go around this mountain again if you want to, or you can stop and do what I told you to do. And I realized I had been really on a running track trying to build a kingdom that he never asked me to build. No, man, I just thought about this. This is, this is like the story of your, I was going to say your people, but I think it's probably all our people. You know, so you go through the Red Sea. How long should it take you to get to Sinai? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's like a yeah, it's like not, a, not a long drive. Okay, and well, Sinai was only and it then, took us about 40, 40, 40 50 days. days to get there. But they and were then only, Sinai to Promised Land should take yeah just a few weeks. But but you know they go yeah I mean on this trek, um, and then even in that you read the story and it says the Lord kind of took them to where they bypassed some of the armies of war because they weren't seasoned yet. So he took them the long way. Yeah. And yet, you know, the long way still gets you there. And in the long way, you still experience, I promise you I got a point about this. You still experience God's presence. He's still in the wilderness. His power is still in the wilderness. His provision still in the wilderness. We could draw all that out. And I think I'm just saying that because, I, I talked to Lauren Taylor, it was recently on the podcast. She is one of the women who leads in the counseling ministry at Transformation Ministries. And in her story, she talked about being in college and getting trained and then getting out of college and working a different path. And then, you know, I mean, just these layers and these chapters until decades later, you're finally walking in what would be your call. Yeah. And so I, I, I think I'm saying that because there's so many people that listen in and think that, oh, well, I'm 30. I mean, my life's over. Yeah. I'll never be, you know, and then you you go, wait, for goodness sake, like, you, you know, these guys, you know, Moses is delivering when he's yeah. 80. Right. Joshua and Caleb are going to the promised land. When, I mean, Caleb's taking a mountain. Right. In his 80s. Right. You know, biblically, you're not, you're not done. I mean, you know, the, the best years may still be ahead. And so when we hear your story of all these business and ups and downs, somehow you look back and go, yeah, it would have been great to short circuit a lot of that yeah. and learn the lesson quicker. At the same time, the Lord builds on that and uses all of that and still promises to fulfill yeah. the purpose which he created you for. I've heard uh, it said in a couple different ways, and I agree so much with what you're saying, that you, do you re have any regrets in your life? I've asked myself this, are there any regrets? And some people say, no, I have no regrets. Well, I do. I mean, I have regrets, things that I wish I had done a certain way or done a different way. And I look sure. back at them and I go, yeah, if I had made that decision, it probably would have been a lot better. Maybe I would have been ahead in this category or what have you. And at the same time, and this is a very Hebraic thought, it's also a very biblical thought. It's kind of the uh, one coin has two sides, right? And so... On one side of this coin, yeah, there's some regret because I kind of think maybe I should have done this. But on the other side of that same coin is, but those decisions and that lifestyle and those things created the person I am today. God used all of those things to build in me who I am in this moment. Yeah. And I'm very much in shalom, at peace with this moment. I know that we're walking out what God has for us. And he's used all of these things 
to prepare us to do what we're doing now and to do somebody work. needs to hear that yeah. you know that okay so the Lord's calling you into ministry you have the not part time or bivocational or, yeah. but so these business things are working not working no, yeah. so pick us up there like what so we, we Sherry and I talk about it my wife Sherry and I and we pray and on the last crash it was you know there's no money there's no job all of a sudden things are gone again it's like Dear Lord, I mean, how many times can I go through this? And the Lord just says about the mountain that if you want to go back and find another job or start another business, yeah, you'll have a couple of years. I'll provide for you. I'm not going to starve my son. I love you. You can do this as many times as you want. Just keep on going around that old mountain if you want to, buddy. It's not what I've asked you to do, but I love you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to punish you, but you know, it's not going to be good. You're not going to love this. And I, and I wasn't loving what I was doing anyway. And so I finally, Sherry and I looked at each other and and this is uh, probably off topic, but maybe somebody needs to hear this. When when I came to my wife, I sat down with her. Um, I lost a job for, I found out later um, because they wanted to hire somebody they could pay 50% less than they were paying me, which is what they did. And that person lasted six months. So, so, they, so they fired so, you. So they, they, they fired me uh, so they could bring somebody in that was cheap. Yeah. And uh, that didn't work out Got for the company they... later on down the road, but... But it didn't help me in that moment. But at that moment, when they let me go, I uh, I came and I talked to Sherry. And I said, baby, uh, I lost my job today. And she said, what? And I, I said, yeah, uh, I lost it. And I'd already been crying for an hour because we'd been in real struggles. All kinds of things have been happening. We were finally just starting to breathe and thinking, okay, we're finally going to make a little headway in our life. We've got four kids, da-da-da. And she says, uh, she looked at me and, and she goes, praise God. And I went, well, maybe you didn't hear me, honey. <laughs> I lost my job. But you know, those things we get called paychecks, they're not coming. We're, we're not getting those anymore. And she goes, I know, baby, praise God. She's like, finally. It, you, she said, you've been working 60 hours a week. You're not doing what God told you to do. You're not in the right place. This is God removing something so that we can be where God wants us to be. Praise God. Let's pray. And I cried and cried. In fact, I'm tearing up now. I mean, what wife, when the husband comes home and says, I don't have any money and the job's gone and we've been through struggles and says, praise God. This is God's will. I'm so blessed to have a, a wife who was willing to do it. And so we went that night and we talked to we were at a Messianic synagogue. We were working uh, in a Messianic synagogue, uh, which is a, uh, for those that don't know, Messianic Judaism is simply a kind of a denomination, if you will, of, of, of Protestantism. It's, it's generally led by Jewish people who are believers that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah. Uh, and they hold to customs or traditions that have been practiced for thousands of years such as uh, Friday nights or Saturday services. So on the seventh day, Shabbat, Sabbath, having services, uh, practicing the different feasts like Passover and those things. Um, and so just different, it's a, it's a Hebraic or Jewish kind of feel. Uh, and we were in a Messianic were synagogue. That. That's what we were doing. We had been in that. And uh, I'd been there for a few years. And uh, so we went and talked to the rabbi. And told him our whole story, not the story you just heard. That's the three-minute version. We told the three-hour version with lots of details and all that. And uh, and then said, God's 
called us 30 years ago. We've been through all these different trainings. We know what we're doing here and there. And we don't, we're in, we need to go full time. So we're here for you. What can we do? And he goes, man, we would love to have you on staff. That is outstanding. We, we want you. And I said, great. Awesome. He goes, and we can't pay you. <laughs> I said, great. <laughs> and so that's how we started. That's we it. just said, okay, that's That it. was 30 years though. Uh, you said, you just said 30 years of journey to get, so I'm I'm like, I'm just, I wanted to make sure people caught that that they're listening in that this has been a, yeah, I got ordained first time in 1991 in Christian as a Christian pastor. And this is in 2014. Okay. So, so that's how long it had been. We've been on the journey before we finally tossed everything in and said, okay, that's it. So we were full time uh, with no money, no paychecks, just went and just trusted God that God was going to provide, and he did. And that's another longer story, separate story on how all that happened. But he provided, I went back to what's called yeshiva, which means school in Hebrew, and uh, went through and and then got ordained as a Messianic rabbi and uh, stayed in the synagogue, was there about eight years, and then we left uh, about four and a half years ago. Uh, God called us to begin what what is B1 Ministries, and uh, we started that as a teaching and training ministry just to educate and teach people, doing radio shows, podcasts, traveling to churches and sharing about the Hebraic side of the kingdom, how the whole Bible works together, that Jesus is Jewish and what does that really mean and all those kind of themes. And then the Lord just used that to parlay that into a full congregational life a couple of years ago. So. We now have B1 Ministries, where we still do all the trainings. And then we have B1 Fellowship, which is our congregation, and I lead that as a as a rabbi. I, I want to get that story on here a, a, another time, because that, that's interesting, because you were trying not to start a church. Yeah. Or, I, well, I mean, I know it's not kind of, kind of we church. Call it a you call it a congregation, but yeah. you, were, you were trying to... You know why we call it a fellowship, interestingly? I have, I have no totally idea. Totally off subject, but but that's what rabbis do. Like they'll yeah, just take you down right. a rabbit go trail and the trail. bunny hole. And so we call it a fellowship because Andy, if I say we're a church, you got an image in your head immediately, right? Then, yeah, that you know what that is, and you, and it's your image. Now, if Billy Bob is sitting next to you, he has a different image, and Mary over there, she has a different. Everybody has their church image, but they have some general things that are going to cross feed all of that, and then they have right. their their own personal experience and whether they're Baptist, Assembly of God, uh, Catholic, whatever, and whether it was good or bad, but they got a picture of church. If I say, well, we're a synagogue, most people, unless they're Jewish, they automatically think of either Fiddler on the Roof or some friend they knew that was Jewish, or they just have a, a kind of image in their head that they don't really know what it is, but they know it's not what they're used but to. But everybody has Very, something. They have something. And I realized stereotypes, back to our original topic, titles, right? So everybody's got a title and everybody puts a label on something. And as soon as that label's there, boom, they've got a whole list of things you got to deal with. If I say we're a fellowship, where's that image? Nobody has it because it's an unused term. People may think, oh, we're friends, that we fellowship together. Well, that's, that's good. That's general. That's just real easy. So we're, we decided under God, and the word is kehilah in Hebrew, uh, and fellowship, and it's akin to the original Hebrew words of what was assembly or congregation in in the Bible, 
when they gathered, they would gather in these kehilahs, and this was a, an assembly of those who are like-minded, who are coming together in faith to serve God. And so we just chose that we'll be B1 Fellowship, because as a fellowship, we had a white, clean slate. We could create the definitions of what God was telling us to look like and who we were to be. And it helped to get rid of a lot of the, the old stereotype stuff. So people right. come into our fellowship and, and they go, so what are you? We're a fellowship. Yeah, what's that? Well, come on and join us. We'll talk well, about it. Answer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you say congregation, like that's... That brings up, you know, kind of yeah. like a, yeah, it's a, I mean, that, that has images it too. It does. So we, we call ourselves like, yeah, a fellowship. That's who we are. So we're, so we've got B1 Ministries and we've got B1 Fellowship and that's kind of what we do. Okay. So I'm going to come back and get that story because it's, that's a great, just how it all panned out. Um, in terms of transformation school of ministry, there, there are three tracks at that school. Yeah. Okay. So like we said, track number one is that inner healing. Yeah. That's where the core of everything started. There's another track discipleship, which is once you're healed, okay, what's next? How do I find, fulfill my purpose? Yeah. How do I walk this out? Now that I've, I've been made whole that third track, you lead that the Hebraic Institute. Yeah. So tell me about that and, and why that would be important. How did, yeah, because it because it seems like just talking on the surface, well, that it's just like a third thing to the side. Yeah, I mean, I can see the correlation between inner healing, you get healed, okay, walk it out. Yeah, disciple, right? But start so, filling it in. So years ago, um, we met Rock, and uh, he was instrumental in our life, and I have so much incredible love and respect for Rock, and have for years. We met him. He helped us with our family and some things, and we became very close friends and just brothers in the Lord. And we've had a great relationship. In fact, we've been serving at Transformation, my wife and I now, for I think it's nine years. I think I think the ministry is 10 or 11 years old. And I think we've been almost there. Almost since the beginning. We've been there almost since the beginning. Um, we he In fact, during the first inner healing schools and tracks, um, I taught six classes that I wrote that weren't part of the curriculum now that I wrote in the and so we we were there way early on teaching with Rock and Sherry teaches and then Sherry we all both do yeah Sherry teaches in part one and part two uh, she teaches about five six seven classes I don't remember how many now and she went through them all of course and she did activations and the whole nine so she's 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 official I didn't go through all the stuff so I'm not official they I'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an outsider. Uh, but um, I taught in the beginning, and then and then we narrowed our transformation classes for me down to three of them. So I teach in part three of the the tracks that they do. Um, I teach the last three classes for the students, and one of them is called Hebrew versus Greek thought, and I teach about the differences between a Greek philosophy and mindset, which is what most of us have, and a Hebrew mindset, which is what the Bible produces. This is what leads to the answer to your question, the Hebraic Institute. The other two classes I teach are on quantum physics. And you say, what does quantum physics possibly have to do? Uh, quantum physics has tremendous biblical insight into spiritual warfare and understanding the invisible world that we truly interact with on a regular basis. And so those three classes make up the last three classes in part three of the spiritual warfare track of, of, of transformation ministries. After I taught Hebrew versus Greek thought for several years, rock had asked me, 
because uh, we had a lot of positive feedback. Yeah. It was really opening up people's eyes to see the Bible from a different perspective. And in seeing it from a different perspective, they were growing. They were really being challenged, not just with ideas, but with actual, oh, this is what the Bible means, and this is how I really can stand on something. It, it really gave them a different viewpoint kind of gives that they you weren't a new getting anywhere else. Glasses or a new set of lenses yeah. to see the whole, yeah. To see I tell everything you've already like, seen, see yeah. it with fresh eyes. I tell people it's like uh, you may have been given a flower that's be- begun to uh, blossom, and when you start to see the Bible through its original context, the Hebraic context, the flower just opens up to full blossom. And it just becomes this beautiful bouquet. And so we, uh, Rock had been asking me for several years, man, why don't you just expand that? Why don't you do more? Why don't you do more? Do more. And I had always wanted to do a school, a, a really a Bible school. Andy, one of my passions. What do you call it? A yeshiva. A yeshiva. Yeshiva. Yeah, yeshiva. That's means, more like seminary. Means right? school. Yeah. Okay. I had always wanted to do one of my deep passions is I really believe that here in America and really, I guess we probably could extrapolate that around the world. We are fighting biblical illiteracy that people do not know their scriptures. They don't know them basic, but they don't really know them particularly the way they were originally intended to be known. When you think of Peter and Paul and Yeshua himself, Jesus, and you think of Isaiah and Jeremiah and you think, Moses, what, how did these men think? What, what was their thought life like? When they read their scriptures, what were they reading? How did it come through them? We've lost, we're so disconnected from that. And yet that's the context that God chose to give us the Bible. We think of the Bible as our context, <clears throat> modern, Western, American viewpoint. God didn't choose to present the Bible to us today. He chose to preserve it in that time period and in a period through a people group in a certain way. I always say this, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. Yes. So we have to understand that the context is there. Well, once we began to explore that, people started hearing that and they really resonated with it and they, they wanted more of it. So I had wanted to help people get back to real scripture habits, scripture study, proper scripture view. And so we started writing material and writing uh, classes. And finally, I just went to rock and I said, okay, I feel like the Lord has said it's, it's released. It's time for us to do it. And he was like, praise God. It's about time. I've been waiting on you. So, so, uh, so we started the Hebraic Institute with transformation ministries and we started a year ago. We're in our just beginning our, our third semester now doing it. So we're uh, and we've we've now got four classes that we offer in that institute. And we're going to be adding. We've got about eight or ten total classes planned, twelve uh, week courses planned. Uh, but we've got four of them now that we've. we've oh, you're rolling one. this thing so, out. This is yeah. Over the next, it'll end up being a full three year program that somebody could do in three years and that'll include one year of biblical Hebrew, the language. So you can actually learn how to, how to read the Bible in Hebrew. And we do it in such an interactive way that adults don't need to fear it anymore. It's really, our teachers slow it down. They go real easy with you. 
So it doesn't have to be something that you're like, oh, it's terrible. I can't learn. No, you really can. It's not. It's a cool language. It's It's real economical. It's efficient. Yeah. I told you I had to study in seminary. Yeah, that's right. And I was so entrenched in it because it was a a summer course that in the evening, like at night when I would go to bed, I literally started dreaming in Hebrew. (laughs) Like like other people talking in a dream and like I'm speaking in Hebrew. And I'm like, what in the world? But but I was cognizant enough to know like in my dream. Like I'm correcting myself. Like, Wait, that didn't come out quite right. That was the wrong tense. Hold yeah. on. Wait, no, no, no. Why am I speaking? They can't understand what I'm saying. It's bizarre. Well, Martin Luther, the reformer, said he, he did the first translation of Hebrew Bible into German. And he said, there's no other language on earth that you can say so much with so little. It was so hard for him to translate it into Eng- into German because what you said, it's such a power-packed, efficient language, and there's so many pieces to it, and yet it's very clean and crisp well, and clear. And Martin Luther's like, yeah, it's a tough yeah, to make translations. Well, we got the Ten Commandments. I mean, like, so we've got, you see them, in, I mean, first of all, you see them coming yeah. down, Moses coming down the mountain, and you, people have them backwards, yeah. right? Because the, the yeah. language flows a different direction. But I mean, we've got these long run-on sentences. Yeah. I mean, Hebrew, it, Decalogue. Yeah. Like, yeah, and actually, and actually, interestingly enough, one of the classes that we teach within the Hebraic Institute in the first course, which is Intro to Biblical Worldview and Hebraic Understanding, that class, one of the classes we teach is about the ten, we call them the ten words or ten statements, because in the, in Exodus, when it's described, and in Deuteronomy, when it's described, the word that's chosen is Hadevarim, Atzerit Hadevarim is what it's, cho- what it's called. And that means the ten words. It could have been Hatzerit Hamitzvot, and had it been Hamitzvot, that would have been the ten commandments. Mitzvot is command. So that changes your perspective on how you see it and how you see your heavenly Father based on. Is he just jacking us around with these rules, (laughs) or is this like, oh, this is his word to us? This is how he's. Yeah. It gives a whole us. different He's... perspective. And we spend two hours just talking about what are these 10 words? How do they, how, how does that relate to the rest of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible? And how does that then relate to the prophets? And then how does that relate to Yeshua? What, when Yeshua was asked the question, what's the most important command? And he said, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit, love your neighbor as yourself. Was he actually just giving us two ideas or were those two related to these 10 words and if they were related to the ten words, how were they related? So we talk about all of that in the institute, and it really helps people to go, "Wow!" And then they, the Bible just begins to open up. So that's the kind of things we do in the institute. That's okay. So that we're going to come back at some point and talk more about just maybe some of the uh, perception, misperception of yeah. just that would send people on the journey uh, of starting to explore this. Uh, can you can you do the first lines of the Bible in Hebrew? Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemayim vayet haretz eretz, and so this means uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Interesting little nugget. Um, the word vayet, okay, it, it it means and. It's it's two words. It's got a, a, a vav on the beginning of it, and then it's it's got an eight. E-T in English, so V-A-E-T is how we would trans, you know, transliterate it. 
The Vav in Hebrew is the sixth letter in Hebrew. It represents the number six in ancient numbering system. It also is what's called the number of man, because man was created on the sixth day. So the Vav is a, rep, a symbol of the number of man. In ancient Paleo-Hebrew, it was a nail, a picture of a nail or a connector. So it would it would connect things. Kind Heaven, of looks like a floating comma, doesn't yeah, it? Okay. Yeah, it's just a little hook, like a hook. And so this nail, and so this word here, it, the way it's, you know, Bereshit bara Elohim 8, that doesn't have the Vav, the first one, and... In the beginning, God created the heavens and, and then the second and, vayet, the heavens, hashemayim, and vayet, aretz, the earth, haretz, the earth. That, that and connects the heavens and the earth together through a nail. I'll just let that sit for just a minute. So if you think about the number of man, Sixth day of creation, the heavens, plural, earth, singular, and it's connected by a nail. Oh, that's good. All right, so we're going to stop it right there and let you just, because that's really kind of what you rabbis do sometimes too, is you just say the idea, you drop the microphone, <laughs> yeah. and you just walk off and let people sit in it. Just try to get people to think a little bit. <laughs> so so go let you sit in that, that nail that connects the heavens, plural. Yeah. Oh, that's a question mark, too. Yeah. And the earth. Singular. Singular. And with that, here's what Rock always says uh, when we close this out. Come see us. Come join the tribe. <laughs>